Children, do you have any fish? I'm told that a priest had had a fruitless day of fishing, and so he decided to go to the nearby store, and so he picked out three fat fish, and he told the store manager, throw these to me one by one. That way, I'll catch them, and the Monsignor, my senior, would not be able to tell the difference, and I wouldn't be lying. I'll be speaking the truth. Today's message is going to feature a fish story that captures what you and I tend to um, experience and what we tend to do after we come down from the excitement of a high to the monotony of the low, the mundane. John chapter 21, I'll read verses 1 through 14. After this, that means after he had appeared to Thomas and the, 11, uh, the other disciples that were with him, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John, he therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples did ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. The first thing I want us to be aware of this morning, all of us, is that we must never be careless regarding the spiritual advice that we give or receive. We must never be careless regarding the spiritual advice that we give and receive. Here is Simon Peter, and he said to the other disciples, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. Now the question that we must ask ourselves is this. 
Why are the disciples back in Galilee fishing when Jesus has already breathed the Holy Spirit on them, as we heard last Sunday, and commissioned them to go to fish for men? Why are they now back to fishing for fish when Jesus has already commissioned them to go fishing for men? Why have they gone back to doing what they've always done when Jesus already commissioned them to a new assignment? Why have they gone back to the ordinary when Jesus has already called them to the extraordinary? Why have they gone back to the old profession when Jesus has called them to a new one? Now, the answer to all of these questions is very simple. Following and serving Jesus requires more than feeling. Following and serving Jesus requires more than feeling, more than excitement. Because you see, excitement and feelings are only temporary. They tend to wear off very quickly. If we're going to make a career out of following Jesus, which is our calling anyway, we need to rely on something more than feelings, more than excitement. Martin Luther said this, and I quote, Feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, naught else is worth believing. Feelings come and feelings go. So the excitement of Easter has worn off, as it always does. And the disciples are faced with the monotony of the mundane. They're back now to life as usual. And so the, the dilemma is, what do they do? What do they do? And notice that Peter, Peter has become the most influential of the disciples. And so he stands up and he says, I am going fishing. And the other six disciples who are with him, they respond, we're going with you. I believe that there are two things about this exchange that are very instructive for us. First of all, those of us who tend to be more influential, and we have that in every organization, every institution, there are some who tend to have more influence than others. So those of us who are more influential within the church must always be careful how we use our influence. We must ensure that we use our influence to keep the church on mission. And so any leadership that we provide that seeks to influence others away from what Jesus says our mission is, that ought to be seen for what it is, and it should be rejected. I'm sure that you listen to a lot of news about churches. I'm sure that you would agree that too many churches over the years have been hijacked and shipwrecked by influential people who have their own agendas. So we must be very careful about how we use our influence. Secondly, whenever somebody's opinion conflicts with what God has commissioned, instead of being swayed by man's opinion, Somebody needs to be able to stand up and say, that's not what Jesus called us to do. Somebody 
needs to be able to do that. Somebody needs to be able to tell them a hard no. Somebody needs to have the courage to say, you can do that if you want, but we are going to do what Jesus commissioned us to do. Many years ago, Randy and I were members of a particular church in which someone who was very influential in that church, in fact, he was the lay leader of that church, he began injecting some theology into the church through books and teachings of some prominent TV preachers who had a particular theological persuasion. And some of us in the church longed for the pastor of the church to be able to stand up and say, no, not under my watch. That's not going to happen here. That's not what Jesus commissioned us to do. And sadly, that did not happen. If you are an influential person in the church, you have a responsibility to help propel the church forward to do what Jesus commissioned us to do which is to preach the message of the gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You must not use your influence to get us back into the boat of what we've always done, what we used to do, but what God is calling us to go forward to do. And so John describes for us in this passage the reason why we must be careful to reject any influence that takes the church off mission. John says this, they went out, the disciples, after they had agreed to go with Peter, who said he was going back fishing, they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Nothing. Nada. <laughs> Zilch. Their nets came up empty. Why? Because... They went off script. They went off mission. They were doing what they felt like doing rather than what they had been commissioned to do. Is there anybody here this morning who likes to do what they like to do rather than what Jesus has commissioned us to do? They were doing in their own power what could only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the last time I checked, the church's ministry, which is to preach the gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The last time I checked, that can only be done through the power of the Spirit. And Jesus had already breathed his Spirit upon these disciples to go out and to preach the gospel of forgiveness for the, for the repent, I'm sorry, the gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, it was God who made this very clear in the Old Testament book of Zechariah, chapter 4, and verse 6. God said this to the prophet, not by might, nor by power. We might say, not by intellect, not by ability, but by my spirit, says the Lord. In other words, if you're going to do anything um, for the kingdom, make sure that you're doing it not in your own strength, not according to your own wisdom or your intellect or your ability, but by the power of my spirit. And so that night, the disciples caught nothing. They were doing what they thought was right. And so they experienced failure. I believe that their failure teaches us one of the central lessons of discipleship, which is this. Apart from Jesus Christ, 
we can do nothing. Apart from the Holy Spirit in us, we can do nothing. It was Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, who once said, and I quote him, Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without the wind, branches without sap, and like coals without fire, we are useless. So again, our first point is this. We must be careful about the spiritual advice that we give and receive. Secondly, we must never forget just who is Lord of the church. Jesus comes to the disciples and asks them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were able to haul it in because of the quantity, they were unable, I'm sorry, to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now if you read the NIV, you'd realize that the NIV renders this question a little bit, a little differently. The rendition is, children, haven't you any fish? Now notice that Jesus asked this question in a way that anticipates a negative response. In other words, he knows that apart from him, disciples wouldn't be able to catch anything. So he asks it in a way that anticipates a negative answer. Because he knows how useless our efforts are at doing ministry without relying on him. Now the disciples are forced to admit that they haven't caught anything because they weren't relying on Jesus. They were relying on their own power and their own knowledge of fishing. Now notice that Jesus does not say here, try over there and you might find some. He doesn't offer them a suggestion. He gives them a command with a promise attached to it. He says, Cast your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some fish. Or maybe the emphasis is wrong there. And you will find some fish. And so we find here that when the disciples obey Jesus, they can't even get the note, I'm sorry, they can't even get the net back into the boat because of the abundance of large fish that they have enclosed. Now, most commentators see these fish as symbolic of the missionary work that the church is called to do. Remember that Jesus had already given this um, command to his disciples, come follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. And so the primary emphasis of this passage is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And as we do things his way, he guarantees the outcome. He guarantees fruitfulness. He guarantees success. So we need to learn as followers of Jesus Christ how to do his work his way and how to rely on him. And the important work that he has called us to do as a church and as disciples of his is to catch fish through the preaching of the gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now notice what John, notice what happens when John tells Peter that Jesus is Lord. Hearing that Jesus is Lord, Peter jumps into the water and he must now make sure that he is appropriately dressed in the presence of the Lord. 
Now, why is that important? I believe it is important because it teaches us that doing the Lord's work requires doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way. And for that matter, being dressed appropriately for God's work because he was not dressed appropriately. And when we do that, God guarantees us success. Maybe not the kind of success that we think, but success from a kingdom standpoint. I believe that this morning we must ask ourselves this question. Where might the Lord be directing us as a church to cast our net in the days ahead of us? Where might the Lord Jesus, who is Lord of the church, be directing us as his church to cast our net in the days ahead? Stephen Lewis, Reverend Stephen Lewis, has a podcast entitled Another Way to Lead. And in that podcast, he offers us some insight into this very question. Because, you see, he defines leadership in a way that suggests that there is a communal aspect to leadership. And his way of looking at leadership is that it takes a community to discern where God might be leading that community. Now, yes, God has entrusted um, leaders to lead, and there's a certain amount of vision casting that leaders do, but discernment, um, Lewis argues, is best done in community. And so these are four practices, he says, that a community um, ought to do, which is an essential part of leadership. First of all, Create a hospitable space. In other words, whatever space that you are occupying, and this space is a worship space, we must make it as hospitable as possible. Secondly, we must ask self-awakening questions. Why? Why do we do things the way that we do things? What might happen if we did things a little differently? Ask self-awakening questions. Thirdly, reflect theologically together. So there's theological reflection that we do as a community. And, and fourthly, and finally, enact the next most faithful step. In other words, as we're doing these things together, and as we're reflecting together, and as God is providing discernment together, then we act as a community to enact what we think is the next most faithful step. Now, I completely agree with these four practices. The only thing I would add, however, is that these four communal practices must happen within the atmosphere of prayer to the Lord of the church. Now, it's okay to do these four practices, to, to create a hospitable space, to th reflect theologically together, and to do all these things, but they must happen within the atmosphere of collective prayer. Because I believe when they happen, um, God will give us collective clarity on where he might be directing us as a church to go next. So you see how important it is for us to be seeking God together in prayer. Now some people say that it was St. Ignatius, others say it was St. Augustine. But one of them said it, whichever one I don't know, but one of them said this for sure because we do have the quotation. It goes like this, pray as though everything depended upon God and then work 
as though everything depended upon us. How true is that? We recognize that whatever we're trying to do, we can't pull it off by ourselves. We need God. So we pray as if all of it depended upon God. And then after we have prayed, we work as though everything depended upon us. So when the church prays to the Lord of the church, the Lord empowers the church to catch fish and to know where to throw the net to catch fish. Here's the third and final point I want to make this morning. We must never miss the opportunity for breakfast with Jesus. He says to his disciples, bring some of the fish you have just caught and come and have breakfast. Now, I believe that people tend to fall into one of three categories where breakfast is concerned. Uh, for some people, breakfast is a big deal. Like my mother, my mother thought that. All right? She would always say, Theo... Breakfast is the most important meal that you're going to have. Don't leave home without it. She always told me that. So some people fit into that category. Are there any persons here who fit into that category? Nobody? Oh, okay. I see a, a, a husband pointing to his wife and the wife pointing back. So I don't know which, I don't know which one to believe. But, but uh, there are people here who fall into that first category. All right? There's another category of people who dream of being served breakfast in bed. <laughs> I wonder why did my wife laugh so hard at that one. I, I have no idea why she laughed like that. Okay? But there are some people who dream of being served breakfast in bed. I don't know what is so important about being served breakfast in bed. I don't get it. It's breakfast anyway, right, Ed? Okay. At least I have one person in my corner over here. Or maybe he's not going to join me because his wife is sitting right next to him on that. All right, the other category of people learn lessons over breakfast. Like the couple in this particular story who had just moved into a particular neighborhood. And so the wife says to her husband, that laundry is not very clean after she had seen her neighbor hanging laundry on the clothesline. She looks through her window and she says to her husband, that laundry is never clean. She doesn't even know how to wash correctly. Perhaps she needs better laundry soap. Her husband hears what she's saying but remains very quiet. And every time that her neighbor hung her uh, laundry out to dry, the wife would make the very same comments. One month later, she was surprised as she looked through the window and realized how clean the laundry looked. And so she said, well, somebody must have taught this lady how to watch, wash after all because she finally has clean laundry on the line. To which the husband replied, dear, I got up early this morning and, and cleaned our glass window. <laughs> and now she realizes that she's seeing for the very first time through clean glass windows. I believe that when Jesus clears our vision so that we can see clearly, when we can see him for who he is, we see that he is inviting us to breakfast. He's inviting us to fellowship with him that is not just on the surface. I'm sure that you, just like me, have recognized that some relationships are just surface relationships. They're transactional relationships. If you do this for me, I do this for you. They're just on the surface. Jesus is calling us to relationship that is deeper than that. 
He's calling us to fellowship with him that is intimate. And notice, he's the best caterer that there is. He already has fish and bread prepared for us. He's not reliant on what we bring to the table. He has brought it. So what, whether we have anything to bring to breakfast is not important. There's some of us, when we're invited to a meal, we kind of feel funny if we don't bring something ourselves. Is anybody like that? And sometimes the host has to say, no, don't feel obligated to bring anything. Everything is provided for. Jesus is the best host. The fish and the bread that he has prepared are more than adequate to satisfy any need that we have. I believe that this is a reminder to us that the great priority of our discipleship is to let Jesus feed us with the living bread which is himself. That is a great priority of our discipleship. Let Jesus nourish us and feed us with the living bread which is himself. We must never let, allow ourselves to become so busy running here and running there, doing this and doing that, that we have no time to allow Jesus, Jesus, to refresh our souls with himself. Here's the bottom line of our message this morning. Everything that our church needs is in Jesus. In Jesus. Now, if that is true, and it is, I'm going to challenge you in three ways. This in How many ways do I have here? Three ways, yes. Three ways for three points. I sometimes have to check because I lose track. All right? But here's the first point. Change your occupation. Change your occupation. Now, I know that right away some of you are going to ask me, do you mean that I must actually change my occupation? And I will say yes. Yes. Jesus called 12 disciples to leave their occupations to become fishers of men for himself. Let me correct myself now, now that I have your attention, and say to you that maybe Jesus is not quite calling you to leave your occupation as he's calling you to leave your preoccupation. Now that makes a difference, does it not? The call of discipleship is to leave whatever you're preoccupied with to follow a greater cause. Because you see, in our lives, we tend to feel that what we are preoccupied with is really the important stuff. And Jesus is saying, no, there's more important stuff than the things that you are preoccupied with. Leave your, preoccup your preoccupation, whatever has you busy running here, there, and everywhere so you have no time for anything else. Leave that for a greater cause. And I want to say to us this morning respectfully that there is no greater cause than the cause of Christ. And there is no, thank you, there is no greater enterprise than the business of heart transformation. And that is what Jesus is after. The transformation of hearts and lives. And we all experience that when we trust Jesus to forgive our sins. There is no greater cause than that. There is no better pursuit than following Jesus for the rest of your life. Secondly, I want to challenge you this morning to prioritize faith 
over feeling. Following Jesus is about faith, not feeling. Never allow your feeling to dictate whether you are a Christian or not. Would you believe that there are many people, there are many people who are Christians who will tell you, I don't feel like I'm a Christian anymore. That is because they are prioritizing feeling over faith. Jesus has called us to prioritize faith over feeling so that feeling does not dictate who we are and what we do. In fact, Jesus himself says that the just shall live by faith, not by sight, not even by feeling, but by faith. Now, I want to ask you this morning, where is your faith? Is your faith in the authority of Christ? Is your faith in the fact that Jesus Christ, whom you serve, is Lord, that his word is immutable, that his character is unchangeable? Is your faith in that? Or are you relying more on feeling? I believe that Jesus is calling us to the kind of discipleship in which we follow Jesus as Lord and that wherever he leads us, we follow. And that we believe in him regardless of what anyone else, the culture, the government, anyone else is telling us. It is Jesus and his authority that our faith rests in. Thirdly and finally, I want to challenge us to discern collectively where to cast our net. We already established that discernment is a spiritual gift. It is the spiritual ability to determine what God wants our next step to be, whether as individuals or as a church. And as we mentioned earlier, discernment is something that best happens in community. I believe that all of us have a measure of faith. Jesus has given it to us. But here's the thing. Individual discernment is not superimposable on a community. You can't impose your individual discernment upon a community. Discernment best happens as we allow the community to weigh in on what God might be saying to them as well. And so as we pray together, as we listen together, as we cross-examine one another and cross-reference everything with God's word, we are able to decide collectively based on our collective counsel. I believe that that is how God still leads the church. I believe that when we do that together, we might very well hear Jesus himself saying, as we are in the community with one another, praying together, seeking counsel, counsel together, offering counsel together, cross-examining and cross-referencing together, you might very well hear Jesus say, cast your net on the other side of the boat, on the other side of what you've been doing, because there's fish there, and you will catch some in the collective net that you're casting. Let us pray together. Holy Spirit, please cement in our hearts whatever you want us to take away from this message today. We trust you, Holy Spirit. You know exactly what we need to hear. 
You know exactly what we need to take away. You know exactly what you're calling us to do. We ask, Lord, even in these few moments that we quiet our hearts before you, that you help each of us to respond in concert with what you are suggesting to us to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.